Hello and welcome to Two Shelves of Gaming, the podcast dedicated to role-playing games, war games and adventure board games. First of all, let me take off my glasses. Secondly, let me do the, do the inevitable, which is apologise humbly to my few listeners for the massive absence in podcasting. And the reason is basically it's been an insanely busy summer of relocation and travelling. My last podcast came to you from the wilds of, uh, of Slovakia, along the Slovak-Hungarian border. And a week after that, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm forgetting what I've done now. I flew back to Holland. Then a week after that, I drove down to Switzerland because that's where we are re- relocating to and have relocated to. However, that wasn't the end of the story because a week after that, I and my wife drove out to Slovakia and then a week after that we drove back to Switzerland with the kids. So it's been a very, very, very busy summer and almost on cue. That's the sound of an aeroplane. More on that later. So the uh, the travel alone has been enough to keep me away from the podcast waves. Uh, on top of that, the general stresses. Yes, the stresses of relocation, the hassles. And just it's taken a long while for me to kind of settle down and, and kind of slowly pick up the threads of my uh, my gaming mojo. So I'm, I'm just about in a position where I said to myself, OK, I've got to I've got to do a podcast. You know, I, I should really get something in the bag. I can't just leave it this long because I'd hate to be one of those. Uh, apologies for the wire sounds covered in wires. I'd hate to be one of those podcasters who, um, you know, what, let me just adjust my microphone a bit. It's not in the optimum position that might be a little bit better apologies for the handling noise um yeah it hates to be one of those podcasters who kind of starts the first episode with great gusto and optimism and yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna be here forever you can count on me and then by episode three well there isn't episode three because they've disappeared and i remember listening to one podcast it was about a, a wargaming set i can't remember what it was called um <laughs> episode one was two very enthusiastic guys Episode two was just one of the guys mysteriously saying that his partner c- couldn't do the podcast anymore. And no reason was given. And there was no episode three. <laughs> so at least I'm doing better than them guys. Or that person, I should say. So, you know, there, there, there's some improvement there. So, yeah. So I've relocated to uh, to a little town just outside uh, Geneva. And there is a playground nearby. You can hear some kids playing. There's another aircraft coming in. I live, r- I live right on the... Uh, the uh, flight path to uh, Geneva Airport. That's a feature in the uh, in the morning hours and the afternoon hours. They do stop for the evening, which is quite merciful. I've got quite a nice view. I mean, it's not as kind of groovy as it sounds. As, as I turn my head to my left, which is away from the microphone, I shouldn't really do that. I should know better. I'll turn my body. If I turn my myself, if I look, if I look out across my balcony, because we now live in an apartment, I can see Lake Geneva. And on the far side of Lake Geneva, I can see the French Alps. And if I kind of go a little bit, if I follow the crest of the Alps, or rather the, the well, yeah, the Alps, I guess they are. If I follow them, I can just about see Mont Blanc through the trees. And there's, there's a local phenomena. I'm not sure if, if the locals have a name for it. But on a clear day like today, when the sun is setting, the snow-covered peaks of Mont Blanc turn pink. So it's quite a pretty sight. And the reason I'm coming to you from my balcony is, uh, A, it's where I know I'm going to get some peace to uh, to do some podcasting, because that was another reason why I've not been doing a lot of podcasting, is we now live in a in an apartment, you know, it's it's, it's enough for, for our family needs, but it's not the house that we had in Holland. 
and I, I, I and I did allude to this in in my last couple of podcasts, maybe when I was saying when I was talking all about relocating, I don't have the same space as I did in Holland, uh, so I can't just go up go up into my man cave and not be disturbed for the duration for as long as it takes to do a podcast. I can't do that. So I have to go out onto the balcony because if I'm inside, there's going to be something happening with my daughters. They're going to want something. There's going to be some chitter chatter. So I'm just outside on the balcony with this very nice view of Lake Geneva and the Alps. You know, but I, sh I should say I'm not one of these influencers who takes selfies and says, hey, look where I am, guys. I don't really do that. So I, <laughs> I haven't really shared this with, with many people that I actually have this view. But, you know, it's quite nice. I don't have a massive view of Lake Geneva. I should just qualify that I can see a little bit of Lake Geneva through Lake Geneva through a gap in the trees, and maybe when the when when winter gets more advanced, because it's actually early November. I'm in the mid-November when I talk when I when when I record this. When more of the trees fall off, sorry, when more of the leaves fall off the trees, I might see some more of the lake. But anyway, it's a very nice lake. It's very clear. In fact, it's so clear in the summertime. I could go snorkeling in it. Yes, and it was warm enough. It was warm enough to swim in. It's not quite going over a tropical reef, but you know you, there are fish there, and it is very clear. Anyway, I now live in Geneva for a while at least. Don't have as much space as before, which has impacted my my gaming, my painting, my my hobbying, and also my podcasting. But anyway, let's get into that. So after the sort of stresses and and hassles and trauma of the relocation kind of settled down you know i, I made a point of saying okay I'm, i need to do some painting i need to i need to get my, my my act together okay where can i paint where can i paint in this in this new new apartment of ours and i kind of had three choices i could paint in my in our younger daughter's room she has a room to herself but she never uses it so i basically thought okay i'll use it for something and there's there's a small table in there but it's very very low and it was quite tricky for painting it was yeah it was really really uncomfortable i was like this hunchback figure bending down over a really small table there wasn't enough space for my paints and my brushes and my figures at the same time so that was that was kind of a write-off i did try it a few times but it was like nah it's not happening uh the kitchen table that was another option but um the light is not so great so uh, I can't I can't really do anything there unless yeah unless I got unless I commandeer all the light sources all the mobile light sources in the house and shine them on my painting so I can't really do that uh, so that's why I come on the balcony that's the reason why I come on the balcony that's my kind of painting space it's got the best light because it's daylight although I I am kind of limited I mean uh, after about mid afternoon especially in the winter months the, the the sun moves away as it as it heads on its journey towards sunset so i'm kind of stuck with shadows and it, it you know and, and it, it's a big challenge you need a lot of light especially now that i'm a, I'm a glasses wearer i need all the help i can get so I, i'm kind of time limited i kind of have to hop onto the balcony when the sun is is hitting it at the right angle otherwise i you know i don't i don't get the same kind of painting experience so that's what's happened that, that's how it's uh, how my hobby has been impacted I have not, um, yeah, I've not been doing as much because it's been harder to set up. And that's the other thing, even though I can, even though I can paint here, I cannot leave things set up like I did in my man cave. I do have to clean stuff away because if I leave things on the balcony, well, it might get, I get damaged if it rains, you know, when, oops, sorry, just, just grazed the microphone then. 
you know, as we move into winter, we might uh, might be a rainstorm. It might bust up my my paint container, which is which is a very thin wood. It's, it's I've, I've upcycled an old um, wine case and used it to put my paints in. Hey, I love upcycling. Trouble is, it's a very thin wood, and if, if it were to get wet, it would warp and just fall apart. So I can't leave stuff set up. When I'm finished in the day, I I when I'm finished in the day, I have to put everything away again. So I have to be kind of I have these I have these kind of bursts of painting that sometimes might not last for more than an hour if I'm lucky. Usually it's been more like half an hour. You know, I've just kind of okay, I'll do I'll do the undercoat and I'll come back tomorrow. Okay, I'll do I'll do the skin. You know, I've been trying to paint these um these orcs I was telling you about. You know, I'll paint the I'll, I'll paint the green skin, then tomorrow I'll come back and do the armor. You know, I've, I've kind of had to really box clever, be very strategic about my about my painting. You know, but it's it's coming along. I've kind of found my balance. And in fact, just uh, just before I got my podcast recording a few minutes ago, I was um, I was touching up Gandalf, shall we say? I I got some I got a lot of secondhand Mithril miniatures. I think that's the name of the company, an Irish company, and I've got a line called Lord of the Rings. So. And I got I got it second hand from a guy in the Hague who was uh, he was selling me a load of stuff quite cheaply actually and it's a smaller scale to twenty eight millimeter but you know it's more or less compatible with twenty eight millimeter if you kind of squint your eyes I guess if you put them side by side they kind of there is a height difference with the humans and whatnot but uh, anyway point being they're nice minis and they're kind of in they, they kind of remind me of my comfort zone because they're just blobs of lead as I call them it's a single piece of lead in most cases. And the detail is kind of how I remember it from the kind of old school Citadel miniatures of, of back in the day. You know, the ones that had the, the metal or the lead bases, you know, before slotters came in. So it's, it's a nice sort of comforting, comforting thing about them. So I, I, I brought some of them as well. And I, I think I might have mentioned in a previous podcast that I was only going to bring my orcs and paint through them. But about three weeks ago, I had to drive back up to The Hague for a few things. You know, look in on the house, do some stuff with the car at the garage. And of course, I got a few more uh, gamey stuff, which was basically I, I bought those um, those Mithril miniatures with me. So I've been painting Gandalf. He'd already been painted by the previous owner pretty, pretty well, I have to say. I've just been kind of doing a little details, putting a bit more color in here and there. Um, like, oop, someone's let off a firework. And they say Switzerland is safe. <laughs> Uh, I've been painting uh, Legolas. He was also painted quite well. Just been, uh, uh, you know, just I'm just preparing him for a bit, more, a bit of touching up. Ooh, uh, madam. Um, but one of the things that was pleasantly challenging about this this lot of Mithril minis is um, a lot of them were unpainted. And one of the unpainted ones was one of the hobbits. And I've never painted something so small in my life in that scale. Actually, I tell a liar. I have painted ten millimeter and I have painted fifteen millimeter. But this was really small. I mean, hobbits are supposed to be small, so it makes sense. But this was really small. This was a real challenge to me. So, you know, refer refer to my earlier conversation about me wearing glasses and needing a lot of light to paint well. I really needed that light glasses sweet spot to paint this hobbit fellow. But I think I did a pretty, pretty decent job. He looks pretty good. So I just need to uh, find a base that's uh, small enough for him because I do have some round bases some of those laser cut MDF jobs that I got from from somewhere. I can't remember. Oh yeah, I got them from Pentrack and Minis a couple of years ago. But those round bases are too big for the hobbits. They're okay. They'll be okay for Legolas and Gandalf, and the other larger Lord of the Rings Mithril Minis like I don't know um, Gimli, 
actually maybe not Gimli, he's a dwarf Boromir you know Aragorn kind of stuff but um, the Hobbit will need a small base so the last few times I've been into France more on that later I've been looking for little washers or the little rings you know the washer and bolts whatever they call them so I can uh, I, I can stick them over I've not seen any yet I've not seen any at all so that's my painting I've kind of got my my, my painting sweet spot sweet spot sorted out and you know it's and it, it's, it's like a lot of things with gaming it, it, it kind of leads to other things you know because I'm painting this Hobbit I'm now looking for more stuff <laughs> I'm not looking for little washer rings when I go to the hardware stores in France or the supermarkets in France I should say because um, Geneva is right on the border with France and you can drive right across into the French border there 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 is a border but they're either unmanned or there isn't a border crossing at all which is quite amusing really you know because France is a Schengen EU country and Switzerland is not so technically you're supposed to be border checked every time you go across but I can I can tell you listeners that that ain't the case in fact there's one border crossing I like to use where there isn't a border presence at all and by that I mean there's no booth there's no barricade there's not even a sign saying customs or douane or douane I don't know how you say it in French just it just doesn't exist so yeah so uh, I we, we go across to uh, to one of the supermarkets in France uh, a lot because it's it's a lot cheaper there things are pretty pricey in in Switzerland and that's uh, and the last time I was there I was looking for washers for my Hobbit so there we go and one of the other curious things again this is a, a random stream of conscience podcast is one of the things they do here in Switzerland is on the f or rather in this neighborhood or this part of, of, of the Geneva district first Wednesday of every month people kind of leave out their household items you know the big stuff that they don't want anymore like chairs or busted TV sets or, or exercise machines old toys etc etc they're just left in the in in tempting piles you know every every few hundred yards down the street every few hundred meters down the street and uh, I think third another firework and uh, I think the first or the second time I saw it, I saw a piece of wood and I went, right, I'm going to use that for wargaming. Even though I was completely somewhere else in my mind, I think I'd just been swimming in the lake. It, was, it must have been August or, or early September and it was still really, really warm and very nice to swim in the lake. And I, was, I was walking back up the street, had my bag with all my towel in, you know. <laughs> you know I was thinking happy thoughts about fish in Lake Geneva and how great it is to swim near to the house. I see a piece of wood and my mind automatically goes okay that's for a war game so like I've said in other podcasts my the the war game side of my brain is always switched on now what I did with this piece of wood is it's um, I'm trying to think it's dimensions it's about it's 20 inches by 13 inches so it's not quite war game table size it's kind of little skirmish war game table size perhaps and when I saw it my, my first thought was, A, that's going to be for a war game. My second thought was, I'm going, to, I'm going to use it with a game called Rusty Dagger. Now, I don't know if you've heard of Rusty Dagger, but Rusty Dagger is a solo skirmish war game by, I think it's called Table Salt Games, which is a kind of play on words of the guy who wrote it called Rob Salters. I'll put a link in the, in the show notes. He's got a lot of uh, YouTube videos, and he's got a lot of videos explaining how the game is played scenarios and it's quite a community now and there's a Facebook group and I think that's how I first saw it there goes another airplane hey nothing I can do 
Um, I first saw the, uh, the Rusty Dagger solo game on a Facebook, just popped up, and I went, oh, solo, I'm having some of that. Because I got really into solo in the, uh, in the pandemic. Remember that, the pandemic? And uh, it's a great game, but it's supposed to be played on a, on a, on a considerably smaller uh, surface to my odd-sized wood I found by the side of the street. Anyway, let me describe what Rusty Dagger is about. It is a solo skirmish game where you uh, create a character and you, get, you, you then go on an adventure which will have combat and narrative challenges or skill challenges. I can't quite remember. So I, I, rem I remember a while ago thinking and telling you that I thought games like uh, Frostgrave and Rangers of Shadow Deep, Rangers of Shadow Deep even, I thought those two games, and I still think those two games, are great kind of midway points between full-on wargaming and full-on role-playing games. And I think uh, Rusty Dagger is very much in that vein. It's, it's, a, it's a great midway point. Maybe it's even the sweet spot that's perfectly balanced between wargaming and adventure board gaming. Because um, the playing surface that's required for Rusty Dagger is really small. I think it's only 6 inches by 12 inches, which is, if I'm not wrong, that's pretty much an A4 piece of paper. And in fact, if you go to RPG drive through and you, um, you get the combat tile, as it's called, you know, you can basically just download, a, download it. And it's just a, a grid of, you know, 12, 12 squares by... by um, Sorry, ten. Sorry, ten squares by uh, ten squares by six squares. I mean, so yeah, that is that is an A4 piece of paper. And of course, some people make their own custom tiles. You know, they do big craft projects and they look really nice. So that's why I'm saying my my piece of wood, which is 13 inches by 20 inches, is somewhat bigger than what's recommended in Rusky Rus, Rusky. <laughs> Don't know why I keep saying Rusky than Rust, Rusty Dagger. But anyway, it's it's what I use. So hey. And uh, as Rob Salters says when he's talking about the game, he says he really enjoys games like uh, Hero Quest, and I think uh, that's kind of a part inspiration for for, for Rusty Dagger. But anyway, it, it's uh, and at the moment there's a few adventures available on Drive Through RPG. I think I'm not sure if they're free to download or not, or you have to buy them. I'm not quite sure. In either case, the rules are only uh, two US dollars, so it's not going to break the bank. Although the, although the thing to say with the rules is, although it does come on one side of A4, you're supposed to print it out and then kind of fold it so, so it turns into a little fanzine booklet as it's described. So it's quite a cute concept. Um, anyway, the and the adventures for these, I think one's called Den of Rats, where you're basically fighting were-rats. One's Spire of the Golem, you're fighting, I think, zombies and... and and a golem, and then there's one that just came out a couple of weeks ago about fighting orcs. You know, it's 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 kind of like reading choose your own adventure. Uh, you know, fight. It's, it's a bit like choosing fighting fantasy in a way because you, you're you're reading, you're reading the plot, but it's linear. You know, you don't have kind of choices. The only thing that um, you, you kind of do have along those lines is you can pass or fail. Let's say a, a a narrative challenge. So at the start of an adventure, let's say you're in the tavern, you hear about some some abandoned mine mine and you want to go up there and you know see what's in there and on the way to the mine you might find someone who's injured and you might try and use your skills to heal that person if you if you win or if you succeed you heal them and they become your companion so it's not just you going in, in into the adventure it's you and your companion so there's two of you 
and if you fail they die you know it's it's that simple or in or in other or in the actual adventures i think you know you meet somebody and you have that kind of charisma challenge or something so if if you win they they come along with you and if you fail they just don't want to know you so you know it, it's a it's a very simple binary thing but it doesn't mean it does not mean you have to then go and choose another passage you just go on to the next passage with or without your companion and the next passage will find you in some kind of uh, environment where you have a combat encounter and um, you might just have a couple of um, let's say a couple of I think zombie hounds was, was one of the adventures I first downloaded and the way it works is you roll um, you roll your d6 to place your combat sorry you roll a d6 to determine where the actually no that's that's wrong let me start again so your combat encounters will consist of opponents and terrain now this terrain is you know it, it's scattered terrain it just takes up one space in most cases it's not like you're you're putting down a hill or a house or anything like that you know as i say inspired by hero quest so the terrain profile very similar to that game so you roll uh, so if, if it says there's one small piece of terrain you roll your d6 and your d10 and that gives you the grid coordinates where to place it so pretty straightforward and then let's say there are two opponents you roll the d6 twice and you just put them along that so you put them on the the far right edge as you look down at it in space one two three four five or six but if you roll the same number let's say you both let's say you roll the d6 twice you get number two okay you put one in number two grid that's along the edge but because that's already occupied the other monster has, the other monster has to be placed in the in the grid next or the square next to it so they're still in grid line two, but one's in the first space, one's in the second space, if that makes any sense. So, you know, so you, even before you've uh, started playing the game, you're, you're rolling dice to, to kind of randomize where you're placing terrain and, um, and, and the opponents, the monsters, and that, <laughs> that's fun in itself, why not? And I, I think you have to roll to place yourself as well. In fact, I think, I think I may have completely got the order messed up then. You basically have to roll to put randomly roll to place yourself and or your component and then you do the the opponents i'm not sure anyway don't have the rule book to me to uh, to hand to look this up but it's pretty straightforward dice rolling randomized and then you fight but this but one of the things that makes it different to other games is you are you're drawing counters out of a bag now one of the things you need to play this game as well as miniatures scatter dice the the combat tile piece of paper grid whatever you want to call it you need six um, counters actually no you need 12 really six of one color six of another color you put three of one color in a bag three of the other color in a bag kind of jumble them up and you put the others to the side and what that represents is uh, initiative so let's say you let's say this combat encounter you, you, you just start it without any special considerations you reach into the bag or your dice cup or whatever and let's say you've got um, red and blue counters and let's say the red ones are for your enemies and the blue ones are for you okay pull out a blue one did I just say the blue one was for me I can't remember <laughs> let's say you blue let's say you pull out a counter that's your color that means you have the initiative for this turn so you can you know you can make a move you know you can you can fight you can do something but if but if your opponent pulls out let's say three three of their color in a row or rather you're pulling them out but you have to you have to make the opponent act 
then they you know then they do their stuff so that's quite interesting you know you it's, it's not i go you go you know the uh the the randomizing of movement is is quite good you know it's, it's a lot of fun and in some combat encounters it might be that the players or the player you it's a solo game are at a disadvantage so that means that maybe there'll be a couple more of the um the opponent's counters put in there you know i don't know maybe it's dark maybe the terrain is maybe the surface of the uh, the encounter is like i don't know marsh or something you know maybe it's dark and then if maybe if you if you gain an item or you or you passed some uh, narrative challenge earlier in the game you you get an extra few couple of counters to put in there so you know it, it's a nice fun system and then of course you know because of the way some encounters go if you've pulled up all the encounters and a you haven't even got into contact with your opponent yet or there's no one's been or you haven't killed your your opponents then you just kind of put them back in the start again so it's fun and then when that's over you you probably go on to the uh, other narrative challenge which might be to avoid a trap or to find a, a more advantage advantageous way to get you to the next encounter which will confer upon you um, more initiative tokens and then you get like to the boss monster so you know it, it's quite formulaic but it is fun and, and it's and as i've said many many times it's just fun to you know just roll the dice get get, get your um get your game on it's good fun so that's what i've been doing with that board that i found although i i, I did actually kind of craft it into something i um i put a lot of sand on it although it's not very fine sand i have to say i um there goes another plane I got some kind of modeling. Well, it's not modeling sand. I got I got decorative sand from a from a craft store, and it's not the fine beach sand I'm used to, which of course I would just be able to collect in abundance living on the on the Dutch coast. No, there's I'm I'm in, I'm in a landlocked country here, so I had to make do with model um yeah decorative sand, which is which was quite big, quite big grains. And the challenge in doing that was when I put down my my PVA. On the on the wooden board and then covered the sand because the sand is so big a lot of it just kind of rolled off so so to cut a long story short i had to really layer and layer you know pva sand let it dry more pva sand let it dry i did it but i did that maybe two or three times so i haven't got quite a uniform nice flat um surface it's kind of a little bit a little bit undulating not crazily so but uh, you can see some kind of raised areas here and there anyway I painted it grey, dry brushed it white, so it's got a kind of nice rocky, dungeony, ruins, castle look to it. So that that was good. Uh, and I've played I've played a few games. You know, I've kind of homebrewed my own stuff. I've played Spire of the Golem using proxies, and it's good fun. It's a good fun game, and um, it kind of inspired me to just you know just it's it's funny how games do different things in your life. You know. <laughs> It inspired me to go into Geneva Town Centre, which is not very far. I, I was able to cycle into Geneva Town Centre. Uh, cycling here is not as pleasant or as safe as cycling in Holland by a country mile or a country light year even. But, you know, it's doable. That You have got bike paths and you can kind of go on the road. You know, the cycle... Uh, the, yeah, it's, it's, it's doable. It's doable. Anyway, point being, Geneva's really tiny. It's a tiny city centre. And in fact... I, I, I went into the city centre and I, I was looking for somewhere to kind of safely tie up the bike because I will, I will only ever tie up a bike if it's usually in some kind of um, staffed bike park. And while there are a couple by the, uh, by the main train centre in Geneva, you have to have some kind of special card, which I didn't have. So, so I kind of 
So I went, oh man, okay, I'll have to look for somewhere more suitable to park the bike. But as I was looking for somewhere more suitable to park the bike, I discovered that I was I was at the game store. It was that small, you know. I, I was expecting to like walk for ages and ages or something, or get a bus. But no, it was actually really close. It was it's such a compact city center, or city. And I went to a place called Xenomorph, which is on the south side of the River Rhone. So as you so Geneva lies on Lake Geneva. Uh, although I think it's called Le Mans here, they call it Lake Le Mans. I'm not sure if the French prefer to call it Geneva or Le Mans or, or vice versa with the Swiss, but anyway. Geneva is on the lake, and then the River Rhone comes off the lake heading kind of southwest. So I crossed over that river and went to Xenomorph, which was a, a really cool looking uh, game store. Um, it does it does like you know gaming clubs and it had a lot of um, WizKid D&D uh, miniatures, and I picked up a couple of barbarians. And I painted them. You know, the, the details really, really fine. Very challenging, I, I found. But if you just slap on one color and dry brush it, hey, it works. Plus, good old um, Citadel contrast paints helped me out with that. So yeah. So long story short is that my gaming interest inspired me, kicked me out the door to go into Geneva and have a look around, and I'm glad I did. So. Uh, Xenomorph is the shop that I will probably go to in the future. And also there was lots of second-hand games there, which was really cool. Nothing I was particularly interested in, get, in getting, you know, there was... Um, actually, no, I'm, I'm always interested in getting second-hand games. It's kind of like an obsession of mine, but uh, I, I'm, I'm trying to just ease off because A, we're in a smaller flat now. I don't want to kind of amass this sub-library of games which I then have to take back to Holland because that's the ultimate plan we'd like to go back to Holland at some point so I'm just trying to ease off getting large paperback hardback whatever volumes of games I'm trying to <laughs> I'm trying to cool my addiction which was another good thing about um, uh, Rusty Dagger because each adventure and the rule and each rule book each basically publication is on a single side of A4, so you can just kind of shove it away in a file and you are good to go. And what else have I been doing gaming-wise? Yeah, I, I was playing some more of my uh, Fabled Lands adventures. I think I mentioned that I did book one and I was getting a little bit frustrated because I was unable to kind of advance in that book without going to another book because, um, in case you don't know, with the Fabled Lands book series, in fact, let me start again in case you don't know what I'm talking about, Fable Lands is a um, it's an adventure game book, fantasy adventure game book that gives you a lot of leeway to just wander and explore a uh, a continent. Basically, it's not like fighting fantasy where you're on quite a time critical, you know, linear path to to kill some boss monster or to uh, you know complete some quest. You've just got, you know, you've got leeway to just roam and roam. And the way the books work is, in some books, you, you have the option to jump to another book. So, for example, in book one, there's a river. I can't remember what it was called. And if you wanted to cross that river, you would then have to go to book two, which, which I had. And I was resisting doing that because I really wanted to suck the marrow dry from book one. But I think I've come to the conclusion that's not true at all. You've got to, you might only be able to complete all the passages or tick off all the passages in book one by going to other books and hopping back again so I was doing a bit of that but after a while I got a little bit I wouldn't say bored a little bit frustrated I wanted a little I wanted a little bit more cut and thrust a little bit more violence a little more a little more sword play so I picked up um, 
another book by uh, Dave Morris and Co. I think uh, I think I've mentioned. I always get confused by the 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 people that Dave Morris has written with because I know some of the books some of the books I think he's written he hasn't, but one of his colleagues has co-written and vice versa. Anyway, one of the other things I was uh, playing was Bloodsword. Now, Bloodsword is another fantasy adventure game book. It's set in the world of legend, which is where the Dragon Warriors role-playing game is set. So yes, it is a Dave Morris product. And uh, they're quite brutal books, I have to say. They are book one. Actually, you know what? Let me let me just dial back a bit. Let me go back a bit and explain what they are. The concept is it wasn't just another adventure fantasy adventure game book where you roll dice and kill monsters the the concept was you could you could have up to four players and a games master but that's not all when you got into a combat encounter you could you could do it on a tactical map every time there's a combat encounter you've got a kind of uh, map in the book and you can kind of represent that on a table using miniatures or counters or coins or buttons or however you want to do it so that's quite that's quite a cool concept and in fact, for the, f for the first book I played, which was the, I think it's called the Bloodsword, The Battle Pits of Krath, I did have a, a large kind of graph paper in front of me. And every time there was a combat encounter, I'd sketch it out with a, a marker pen. I'd use little minis and dice to represent my opponent. And whenever I hit the opponents, I'd just turn the dice to kind of represent how many uh, life points they had left. Anyway, point being, it's quite a brutal game because there is a lot of variable damage. You know, you, you can be up against an opponent who, every, each time they hit you, they score 3d6 points of damage, which, depending on what kind of character you are, can be, you know, can be fatal after a couple of blows. It's not like fighting fantasy where every uh, combat encounter deals you two points of damage if you get hit. Well, in most cases. So anyway, um, I was doing the second of those books, the uh, the Kingdom of Weird, where you have to go to an icy kingdom and kill some horrendous warlock-type person. And because these books do have a, a notion of um, leveling up at the end of each uh, book, or I think they do, so basically in book two, the uh, the monsters, the combat, the combat encounters are e even more lethal. You know, you can be up against people who are rolling four dice every time they hit you. You know, but luckily my my character was quite quite handy. Although I have to say, a couple of times I almost got killed. So it is quite a brutal book. You know, you do need uh, you do need to be quite powerful. And the books themselves do have a character progression um, mechanics um, system. So you know, you can have level one, level two, etc. But they call it it's called rank. You know, like you can be of the rank one, rank two. You know, basically equating to character levels. So I did that, and I found that really, really good because to get to the main combat encounter, or rather the uh, the main location you have to get to, I think it's called the Palace of Desolation, which is a palace which sits in the middle of a, of a lake in this icy kingdom of weird. But to, but to cross the lake, you have to choose one of three bridges to get to the main palace, and each bridge is its own little kind of dungeon basically which has its own encounters and challenges and one of them I'm trying to remember now one is the um, the challenge of is it carnage one is the challenge of confusion one is the challenge of fear so if you choose one you're basically not going to do the other two because that's just the way the book works and I found the one I chose which was the um, 
the, the, the bridge of fear or the challenge of fear. Really, really well written, really spooky in places. And I've never, I've never really had that kind of um, experience from a game book. And I think one of the other reasons is Dave Morris doesn't just put in, you know, paragraphs of a few sentences. Some of them are, you know, page and a half, two pages long. So there's a, there's a great narrative there. There's a great story feel. And I found it really, really satisfying. So satisfying that when I'd finished that challenge, when I'd gone over that bridge, I thought to myself, you know what, I'm going to come back at some point and do the other two bridges because if they're written anywhere near as good as the first one I've just gone through, they're gonna, those two are going to be fantastic. So I'm, I'm going to do those again just for the sake of it. Anyway, I finished that book. It was, it's, it was very brutal, like I say. I almost didn't make it, but I did. And so at some point I'll do book three, which is... I can't remember what book three is. Nope, can't remember. Can't remember, but it, it, it's there close by in the, in, the, in, in the apartment somewhere. And the other thing I have in front of me, I kind of came out on the balcony. It's quite dark now. It's getting really cold. All that warm weather a few weeks ago is completely gone. Oh, I can hear some dogs barking. It's completely gone. In fact, there was a lot of snow on the, on the Alps last week. Uh, that, that's all gone. That melted away, but winter's definitely coming. I mean, some of the Alps have snow on them all year round. I mean, Mont Blanc always has snow on it. I uh, can't see that anymore. It's disappeared in the haze. But anyway, the other game I've been kind of flipping through, one of the other games I bought with me, um, was, tho was Those Dark Places which is printed by Osprey Games and is by Jonathan Hicks. And I don't know if you know this game, but it's a really, it's a really, it's a rules light, but quite atmospheric and, and you know, modest book. I would, you know, not that that's a bad thing. You know, it's, it's not this huge tome. It's digest size. It's quite, you know, it's quite thin, but it's got everything you need. And it's a science fiction game. Let me see if I can read it. Cause it's really dark. Oh, I've got a light behind me. Duh. Let's put the light on. There we go. Okay industrial science fiction role-playing so it's science fiction role-playing very much sorry just scra scraped the mic again so it's science fiction role-playing very much in the vein of films like Alien or Outland if you remember that one with Sean Connery as a kind of space cop so it's very gritty space trucker used future uh, science fiction role-playing and uh, the, the author himself, he makes no bones about being a huge fan of Alien, but the good thing about this book is, or this game is, not it doesn't, it doesn't expect you to automatically encounter a xenomorph or anything like that in every single game. It's, it's, it casts its net very, very, very wide. You know, you, your adventures could be going to fix some broken down, I don't know, mining, mining colonies, irrigation system, and you find out that everyone there has gone mad or something, or some weird cult is set up. It, it's it's quite gritty and grimy. And yeah, sure, if you wanna if you wanna meet alien and have a have a have a huge gunfight through the through the um, the air the um, what are they called the air ducts of some spaceship, you can do that. But you know, there, there's a lot more to it than that. And uh, I was thinking about this game because there there is actually an alien role playing game. And I was thinking if if you played the alien role playing game. And if you don't encounter the Xenomorph, are you going to be very disappointed as a player? Because surely the whole reason to play the alien role-playing game is to meet the alien and, and have a fight with it and get away and and then live to fight another day when you encounter another one. So, so I think that that that's an advantage of the those dark places because it it doesn't it doesn't pin its colours to the mast in that way. It leaves it a lot more open. 
it's very gritty if I haven't said that if I haven't said that already I know I have I'll say it again it's it's very gritty and it's got a pressure mechanic in it because the whole the whole proviso of the book is as 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 you travel from planet to planet or space station to space station or from colony on a meteorite to another colony on another meteorite you're you're going around in these really little rinky dink spaceships you know you're not you're not on these really on this on this on these wonderful air conditioned shiny you know starcraft you're on these little manky equivalent of buses going back and forth you know these little tin can current you know tin can spaceships with recycled water and recycled air and it really paints a picture of space travel being an absolutely unpleasant necessity and on top of that you are you're kind of in you're kind of in some kind of <laughs> indentured labor situation where you you can't you can't leave until you amass enough credits or you've you've completed your service years you know so you you're kind of in this drudging situation where you the the company whichever company you own for these kind of faceless global corporations until you've paid off uh, paid off your debts and then when you're because of all this because you're in these horrible manky little situations or spaceships and because you encounter these horrible things in various planets you've got to uh you you encounter pressure and sometimes you can have these episodes where you encounter something horrible and you encounter something nasty or you see something nasty and the pressure makes you go mad or you lose you know you lose your ability scores so it, it, it's a great little game and I, I just kind of randomly put this into the podcast because I've, I've you know I've been flipping through it and I've been trying to think if I can solo it in any way if I can kind of do something with maybe with miniatures maybe something because it's just such a it's just such a great game those dark places and, th- and there's loads of um, gameplay videos on YouTube there is loads I know Jonathan Hicks has done loads of, he's hosted loads of um, or rather he's been GM games master to lots of um, play sessions of those dark places so he's been very active publici- publicizing his, his work and his game so you know feel free to look, look those up but yeah again I, I just, I just kind of randomly picked it up off the, uh, off the shelf or rather the, the footstool in front of me because I just something really charming is the wrong word it's a very gritty grim nasty game where, where everything's horrible in the future but I, I, I really want to try and do something solo with it if that's in any way possible because I've sort of um, parked not abandoned but parked my paleomythic solar project from about a year and a half ago two years ago a long time ago and I think I could do something maybe with with paleomythic you know I've, I've got I do actually have some some miniatures some alien miniatures but they're they're I picked them up in a in a car boot sale or a, I don't know what they call them elsewhere in the word a yard sale for one euro it was a little bag of five kind of colonial marines and five xenomorphs they, they were kind of they had they have kind of funky details to them they're not they're not finely detailed finely sculpted minis and although they've got the kind of official alien logo on them they're they're, they're made by nanoforce i'm trying to remember the name i just remembered it nanoforce miniatures so maybe i could do something with them i don't know but just having that book that little digest book and not having you know reams and reams of, of pages and rules and books and binders there's just something really nice about that anyway those dark places randomly thrown in at the end of the podcast and this is where i will round up this random stream of conscience podcast 
Um, like I said, I really wanted just to get something done because I'd, I'd been away from this for a very, very long time. And I hate, I, I hate it when I listen to podcasts, or, or rather it's tragic, I should say. It's tragic when I listen to podcasts and then after a few episodes they just disappear off the face of the world. And I don't want to be one of those guys. And also it's getting very, very cold now and I, I should really be getting off the balcony and going back inside. So thank you very much for listening to this podcast. My name is Tom and uh, I shall hopefully speak to you in the near future. Thank you very much for listening to the Two Shelves of Games podcast. Goodbye. Thank you.